0: Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Man, it's, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. It's good to have the word open. Um, I believe that, that God has a word for us this morning. The, uh, last week we started in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and we addressed the dangers of selfish thinking and how they, uh, those thoughts and, and, and that, that self-obsession over time results, uh, in sin, in overt sin. And, uh, the, the truth is that I think it's really important for us to say this and I think it's really important for us to be reminded that, um, all of us are prone to sin and, uh, all of us are in danger of falling into the traps of, of sin. All of us, all of us. All of us are in danger of pride and all of us are in danger of arrogance. All of us are in danger of sexual sin. There are, there are no sins that you personally uh, are somehow um, able to escape from. And the, the, the truth is that regar, regardless of how far along you get in your faith and the more knowledge you have of God's word, uh, the further along you are in ministry, the more opportunity and influence you have in terms of leadership, despite how many people you've discipled or how long you've been leading a Bible study or how long you've pastored a church, you are always in danger of sinning and falling. And I think that's why, that's why it's so important after decades of ministry and leadership and growth and development that we have to recognize that one statement will always be true for us. And that is take heed lest ye fall. That will, that will always be a relevant passage for you, and for me included. Take heed lest ye fall. And we're going to continue to look at that today. In today's sermon, we're going to be picking up where we left off, and we're going to look more deeply at the nature of temptation, temptation, something that we all also face. Um, You know, it was just in the last service, uh, you know, Kenny's sermon segued into this one uh, so well. We looked at the character uh, briefly, at the character of of Solomon, right? And uh, what we saw in Solomon is that, that when he called out to the Lord and asked for wisdom, Uh, of all the gifts that he could have had, right, of all of the, the blessings that God was willing to bestow upon him, he chose wisdom. And despite the fact that he chose wisdom, there came a point in his life where he refused wisdom. And that is always an option for us. That's always an option for us. We can always refuse wisdom and make ourselves susceptible again to falling down in sin. The only difference that, 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 that takes place, the only differentiation that takes place over time and the further along you get in your faith is that the fallout of, of falling down and sinning is greater the further along you get, right? The longer you go walking with the Lord, the more people you've, you've been able to invest in. Uh, fa- you have, you, in time, you have a family, you have a, a wife perhaps, a husband, and the stakes get higher and higher, and so my point in saying all this is that is that even the more, the more so, okay, even even greater should we take heed thus we fall because the stakes grow greater and greater. And so as we look at today's sermon, we're going to be talking about temptation. We're going to be asking ourselves this question, does God see or care about my struggles? I think this is a, re- this is a really important question because I think a lot of times we we genuinely aren't sure, right? It doesn't matter how much of God's word you've read or how many promises you've read. Sometimes, sometimes we just don't believe that God is there for us or that he sees our struggles or he sees the temptations that we face. And in those moments, in in that selfish thinking, we often find ourselves doubting, doubting whether or not the Lord loves us. Now, just as we saw last time together, we saw... uh, the picture of the nation of Israel and how God was with the nation of Israel, and, and how they struggled with selfish thinking, and He stayed with them and, and loved them and cared for them and helped them to overcome despite the way that they thought, and despite their refusal of faith in Him. Today we're going to see that in the midst of our temptations, in the midst of our struggles, God is with us, and He loves us. And so let's pray so I can get my bearings here. Let's pray. And let's ask the Lord to help us that his Holy Spirit would speak and that we would, we would take away from today's sermon exactly what it is that we need to take away. Are you guys with me? Yes. You with me? All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we, we love you and we know that you are with us even right now. And that any time your word is open, uh, it, is, it is your prerogative to speak and that you don't, you don't tend to hold back. And uh, Lord, I know that there are at least two or three in this room that are gathered together in your name, certainly. And so Lord, according to your promises, would you be here with us? Would you be in our midst? Would you speak? Would you not let any of your words fall to the ground? Would you count us faithful uh, to steward the blessing of your word today? And I pray, Lord, that you would, you would speak to every one of us exactly where we're at, that we might walk away uh, submitted to the reality of who you are in our life and, and the things that seem so difficult, so, so hard to overcome, the temptations that we face, the trials that we're going through, Lord, I pray that you would today teach us how to acknowledge and recognize that you walk with us, that you're empowering us, that you're speaking to us, and that you're giving us everything we need to be overcomers and to, and to be refined by the reality of our trials, So God, be with us, teach us, and help us as your children today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's begin by reading. It's a short one today, short section, uh, but we're going to camp out here. Verse 12, we'll start there. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such, uh, such as is common to man." But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. Now, let's let's look at this, this phrase again, take heed. All right, it says, Wherefore let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he fall. So again, we see Paul's warning that we need to take heed. And this phrase, take heed, means to yield and consider. Christians should be opening God's word and reflecting on what is going on in our mind and our heart and behavior. Now, I believe that there's very little temperance in our world today. There are very few people uh, that are actually taking the time to consider their mind and their heart and their behavior in light of who God is. So many of us are so preoccupied with the things that we think that we deserve and the distractions of this world that we lack any serious reflection. This is why the therapeutic setting in our world today is glorified as though it is church. This is why people are so obsessed with the need for counseling in their life and therapy in their life. It's it's because their lives are literally falling apart around them and they have no idea why, because they have no capacity for considering their ways. We, we, we have completely lost the art form of just sitting in silence and considering what are my thoughts actually saying to me today? What, what is it that I'm actually feeling? What is it that's going on in my heart, in my, in my mind? What areas of behavior in my life are incongruent? We don't even know how to do that anymore, so we have to hire someone to, to sit with us and to help us simply consider the things that God has given us a brain and a heart to do on our own. We don't even know how to do it anymore because we are so preoccupied with selfish thinking and the ways of the world. We are intemperate people. And so much of our emotional and mental dilemmas are rooted in a failure to simply sit with God in contemplation. And let's be honest, Christian. You know, Kenny was talking about journaling today. How many of you actually do that? how many of you actually sit in prayer with your Bible and a journal processing your thoughts? We take shortcuts just like we do in every other aspect of life. We take those same shortcuts in our devotional time with the Lord and we wonder why we can't make sense of how we feel. We wonder why we're anxious all the time. We wonder why we struggle with submission with authority in our life. We look at our life and we're like, why am I depressed again? And the truth is, we don't know how to sit before the Lord. And we can't even be bothered with opening up a piece of paper, a journal, a, a spiral notebook, and to capture our thoughts in light of what God is teaching us. We don't know how to do it now Bible study plays an important role in this and obviously there's accountability and there's the opening of God's word and there's people that are sharpening you and you're getting something from that but in that setting that can't replace your need to daily be before the Lord and to speak with him and to let him speak into your reality and to sit quietly before him and ask yourself ask yourself and ask him why do I feel this way why do I think this way we should be taking the time to yield our mind, our heart, and our behavior before the Lord, so that so that we can do the following: a, a. If you right, I don't even know if this is in the slideshow. So if you're taking notes, this is a, <laughs> a, so that we can enjoy the benefit of conforming to Christ. I mean, the, the first reason why we spend time with the Lord and, and we, we sit with him in his word, the very first and foremost reason is so that we can just simply be like him and uh, be with him and be like him. I said this, I can't even remember, all my conversations blur together throughout the week, but I, I had a conversation with someone just this week and, and I, I was reminded of the idea that we become like the people that we're around. We become like those that we spend time with. You take on the mannerisms and the way that other people talk when you spend time with them. And that is true with our time with Jesus Christ. So the first thing that we need to get from, from having a devotional life and just being before the Lord with an open Bible is that he is, is in our time with him, he is conforming us to his image, but B also spending that time with him causes us to avoid the perils of sin And the snare of the devil. Time with the Lord keeps us from sin. Time in the light keeps us from darkness. Time in truth keeps us from lies. You have to know that. So when we say take heed, what we mean is consider your ways before the Lord. Learn to be quiet before him. Haggai, the prophet, he conveys a warning to take heed. Chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Does anybody ever feel that way? You're doing so much work and you're spending so much energy and your mind is so tired and yet you have nothing to show for it. Consider your ways. You have, have sown much and, and you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is no warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put in a bag with holes. See, there's a spiritual truth here for us. That many of us are so busy doing life and doing spiritual activity, religious activity, and yet we feel empty and we feel cold and we feel dark. The reason is you have not considered your ways. You're not taking heed. You're not truly spending time with the Lord. Similarly, the prophet Hosea warns the nation of Israel that they will suffer consequences because they refuse to take heed. Hosea 4.10 says, for they shall eat, and not have enough, they shall commit whoredom and shall not increase because they have left off to take heed to the Lord. See, God wants wants us to proactively meditate on our ways in light of his ways. And this isn't an emptying of our mind. This isn't positive mindfulness. Does anybody else Apple Watch remind them every day to be mindful? I think I've already confessed, I don't know how to change that setting. Maybe I should do it right now. I have to do it on my phone? Oh. Okay. Carlos, you're going to show me how to do that later? Will you you help me with that? Okay, thanks. Um, But that's not what this is, that's not what we're talking about. Mindfulness is not enough because. Your mind is jacked. And if you spend too much time there alone, without Christ speaking into it and his mind influencing you, you're gonna end up warped and deceived by your own thoughts. If it's about emptying your mind, well, something will definitely fill the void, and it will likely be lies. See, the biblical form of meditation is engaged meditation. It's sharpening meditation. It's the act of the potter's wheel pressing his character upon us. It can be difficult. It might involve tears. It might involve pain. It might involve breaking, remolding. But it's necessary. Taking heed takes place as we spend time with God and his word, allowing him to make corrections to our thoughts and our heart. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That's, this, is, this is what's profitable, is God's word. It's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. You ask yourself, why am I not maturing? Why am I not growing? Why am I still struggling with these feelings these emotions, and the answer is God's word needs to perfect you. It needs to mature you. You need to give an opportunity to do that. So here's our first key point today. The work of biblical introspection manifests in personal holiness. The work of biblical introspection manifests, it results in, its fruit is personal holiness, its sanctification it's changing, it's growing, it's maturing, it's becoming perfect. It's becoming conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And yet so many of us struggle to do it. We don't know how to take heed to our ways. Psalm 39 one says to the chief musician, even to J- uh, Jedetham, a Psalm of David. I said, I will take heed to my ways. Why? That I, that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. Okay, what is, what is David saying here? He says, I will take heed to my ways so that the result might be that I sin not with my mouth. Taking heed is necessary to combating the sin in your life. Let me explain to you how this should work. James chapter 1 verse 23. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. So get the picture here. Okay, Every time we go to the word of God, it is a mirror reflecting back to us what it is that God sees in us. That's what it is. And any time you sit in here and you hear the word of God taught, and you behold your face in that mirror, you have the ability to make a decision about whether or not you receive it or reject it. Verse 24 says, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. That's the habit of so many of us. Why? Why? How is it that we can come before God's word and look at it as the mirror that it is and then walk away unchanged? Why is it that we can do that? It's because we fail to actually consider it. We don't let what we see affect our heart and mind. We acknowledge it and then we walk away, which is what some of you are going to do today. After this sermon, you are going to hear these words you are going to walk away, you'll acknowledge them, you'll make some sort of mental assent, and then you will walk away unchanged. Why? Because you do not let the words of God and the mirror that it is be the change in your life. You're not willing to let your emotions be exposed to its truth. You are not willing to let your thought patterns be affected by what it says. You, you do like most good Christians do. You nod your head, you say amen, and you move it along. Because the knowledge itself, the knowledge, the things that you're learning academically from God's word is good enough for you. And you lie to yourself and you tell yourself that you're being changed. But is it piercing you? Is it breaking you? Is it scolding your heart? There's a difference. There's a difference. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, abide there, live there, dwell there, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. We have to be yielded to truth in order for God's word to work its way out in our lives. See, we can frustrate the work of God's word. We can frustrate the work of the spirit by coming to God out of obligation and faithlessly. So learning how to take heed is critical because it's necessary for being conformed to Christ. And what we're gonna learn here is that taking heed is necessary for dealing with temptation. But here's the deal. Temptation's a tricky thing. Temptation is a tricky thing. See, temptation causes us often, when we, when we face trial and struggle, or we find ourselves in a season where we're tempted to feel or act a particular way. In those seasons, we often resent God instead of embrace him. We get, caught, we get caught saying to ourselves, well, God maybe has forgotten me or the pain that I'm suffering through, the difficulty that I'm going through. Somehow, God is not present here. He's forgotten me. I'm his least favorite child. And we tell ourselves these lies. It's common for us to feel like God's abandoned us. But we need to get God's view on these seasons of temptation. We need to get his perspective. We need to understand them from his, from his vantage point. So look, look again at verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you but, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So let's break this down. First of all, what is temptation? When we say temptation, what do we mean? What does the Bible actually mean when it uses this word? Okay. Now let's start here. Let's start here with the idea that temptation is what we understand it to be in our common vernacular. Temptation, in, in every sense of the word, is when, is when you are being coaxed to do and act in a way that is unbecoming of, of good moral character, and from our vantage point, from, from our perspective, according to God's word. Anytime you are being convinced by your flesh to not do God's work and abide in his word, that's temptation. Now, there's an interesting thing about temptation is that God actually believes that it's good for you. That's different than our perspective. When we think of temptation, we think of it as, as purely the evil that it is. Now, now, granted, it is evil. Temptation absolutely comes from our enemy. Temptation is absolutely about deception. But God has a way of making even the worst things for our good. And so the Bible actually teaches us that it's a privilege to suffer in this type of trial. James chapter one, verse two says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptation. That word divers is, is the same as our word diverse. So many forms, many forms of temptation. Count it a joy when you fall into all these diverse forms of temptation and trial and suffering in your life. Why? Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. See, here's the deal. We will face temptation. Hey, guys, just come on. Just come sit down. Come on in. I know Eric. Eric's always wanting to take the show. All the attention. Look at him. Waltzing around back there like he runs the joint. God forbid Eric not get another cup of coffee. <laughs> if I didn't have if I didn't have Eric to do that too I don't know what I'd do I hope he never goes and does anything else but be right here because I need him I need him to be the, the brunt of my jokes he got so upset with me in the last service because I made eye contact with Sam because I thought he was going over I thought that the worship set was going long which it was <laughs> Do you see how late we let out last service? So I look over at Sam. And then Sam, or then Eric sees me looking at Sam. And Eric, Eric gives me that. You guys know that look where he raises one eyebrow, like he gave me that look. I was a stumbling block to the worship set. I didn't mean to be. You're too observant. Okay, so so here's the deal. We will face temptations. We will face trials. We will face struggles in this world. It's a natural part of the Christian life, which is why we must take heed, because it's our heating every day that will prepare us for the refining fire of temptation. It's what will prepare us. So, you know, when gold is refined uh, before, it's, before it's fired, I think we always associate, associate um, the, the refining of gold with fire, right, with the trial, But before it's fired and and melted, it's often washed in chemicals. And these chemicals actually take away 90% of the base metals before it's ever even fired. So when those metals are removed, then it's fired at 1,400 degrees Celsius. And that purifies it even further. And then once it's done firing, they break it down and they wash it again. They wash it with chlorine and they wash it with, with this I don't. I never took the time to look into it. It's something called Aqua, Aqua Regia, which sounds like a really fancy, fancy bottled water. Um, but I don't think you can drink this stuff. Um, so they wash it in this stuff again. They take it through that process of washing because it purifies it even further, and then they fire it again. It's, and it's this this act, this this work of 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 washing the the gold and then firing it and washing it and firing it that actually purifies it. So in order for the gold to be refined and cast into whatever shape it needs to be in its final state, it requires both the washing and the heat of the crucible. If we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ, if we're going to take our final form, we must take heed by washing ourselves in the promises of God's word. So that when the heat of temptation comes upon us, that we're prepared to withstand the pain of it and allow it to produce in us spiritual maturity and focus. It requires the washing, the the, the time that you spend with God daily in his word. It takes those morning devotions. It takes that journaling. It takes the, the, the book being open before us and looking into it as a mirror every single day that prepares us for the work of the refining. See, it's what you do in the in-between. It's the taking heed. It's the considering of your ways every single day that allows you when you face temptation and trial to come through it preserved on the other side and better for it. God's word prepares us. It prepares us to be ready for temptation. God wants to encourage us in the midst of trial. God shows us that we don't have to succumb to the pressures associated with temptation. We don't have to fall prey to our flesh. We don't have to. And he's provided us with promises necessary to see us through the struggles that we face. In fact, he provides us with four promises here in this passage to take heed to. The first one is this. Okay, we're gonna look at four of these promises that we need to heed in order to to embrace temptation for what it is. The first one is this, key point. There are no lonely trials. Okay? So what we're doing is we're addressing the lie, aren't we? Because when we go through trial and we go through temptation and we find ourselves struggling, the first thing that we say is, woe is me, I'm all alone. That's what I do. And that leads me down a path of depression. I feel alone alone. What our passage teaches us is that there are no lonely trials. Verse 13 says, What? There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. There is peace in knowing that our struggles are shared struggles. There's peace in knowing that, that every struggle we face is a shared struggle. The trials of common Christians are but common trials, aren't they? And so, just as others have endured temptations and burdens and have had victory, you may take courage that you will also. See, there's something really beautiful about what we got here. And for those of you who are newer to the ministry and newer to Kaya, maybe you're beginning to see glimpses, but time will prove that there is nothing better than having friends that you can count on at any time. There's nothing better. And one of the privileges of, of being a part of a ministry or part of a church, in fact, but, but a part of this ministry in particular that I love so much is that when we look across the pew and we survey the myriad of individuals in the room, different back, backgrounds, different, different homes that they grew up in, different experiences that they've had, we can look across the pew and survey the people and we can know, we can know that they've overcome the same burdens that I now face. We can know that these burdens that we share are shared burdens. That the things that Seth is going through are the same things that Eric has gone through at, at times in his life. And the things that Ali is going through are the things that Hannah has gone through at times in her life. And while it might not all be the exact same, listen, we all know pain. We all know suffering. I'm so glad to know there's so much healing to be found, in fact, and knowing that the, the suffering that I face, we've all suffered. At different times in our life, we've been through the same temptations and trials. And this is why, this is why um, this is why we take counseling so serious in this ministry. And, and, and this is an opportunity for me to address counseling in our church, okay? So we've got a counseling ministry. We've, we've got a ministry for people who are members of this church to sign up if they're going through some sort of difficulty in life, and they can sign up, and they can get one-on-one counseling here at the church. And, and we, we believe that's super important, and that's a growing ministry, Um, The team is still fairly small right now. I think we have 13, maybe 14 people on that team. It's a small group of people that devote time and energy in terms of ministry to meeting with people and working through their problems. Sometimes that takes just a couple meetings. And sometimes, just like we imagine in any sort of therapeutic setting, sometimes it takes a year or two of meeting with people in order to help them get on the same page with God and to set their heart straight and to be overcomers. Now, the beauty of our ministry, though, is that people don't need to sign up for counseling ministry. Generally, unless their situations are, are egregious, right? unless their issues are really chronic and, and their struggles that they can't seem to get victory in. All right, And so what I want to point out to you is that any one of you that's in a Bible study leader, you already have a counselor at your disposal. You not only have peers to help you work through your problems, to converse with, to pray with, to weep with you, to joy with you when you have victory, that are willing to go get coffee with you and to talk to you and to to take phone calls late at night. Not only do you have peers to do that with, but you have leaders in the ministry that are willing and wanting for you to come to them and to utilize whatever little bit of knowledge or wisdom that they might have to utilize them and to meet with them and to talk with them and to work through your problems. You have so many resources at your availability, so many. I mean, I think about when I was your age, we had first, we had first planted this church. I mean, I was, I was 22 when, when Eve and I came down here, and we came down here with a group of 30 or 40 people. And while I knew that these were my comrades in arms, a lot of times it felt lonely because everybody was so busy with ministry. Sometimes it felt, it felt like people were distant. But I want to I point something out, is that God always has exactly what you need at any given moment that you need it. And, and for Eva and I, in those seasons that felt lonely, you know what gave us victory? Is locking arms in battle. When, when, when my heart was low or I was dealing with, because when I first showed up here, you guys may or may not know this, I, the year that we planted this church or started coming down to Midtown was the same year that I got married and the same year that I lost my brother in a car accident. All that happened in the same year. And I remember at night, I remember every now I'd come home from work and Eva remembers this vividly. I would go into the room and I'd shut the door and I would cry with a banshee cry. I mean, I would let loose with pain for the loss that I had experienced. It was it was a year of grieving like that. And you know what? You know what. you know what helped me get through that? (sighs) Planting a church. Locking arms with people who loved me. They didn't always have the right words to say. They didn't always know what to think about my pain. But you know what they did is they, they swept floors with me and they worshiped with me and they opened God's word with me and they prayed with me, and they showed me, they showed me that they loved me. And then it wasn't long after that, it wasn't long after that, that the, the kimbles lost Graylin, just a couple years later. And I, in my weakness, I, I really had nothing to offer, I had, no, I had no knowledge or wisdom to give them, But in that season, they knew that I felt their pain and that I had shared a similar burden and that their suffering was common to my suffering and that because we loved each other, that in time we would find healing in Christ together. Now that goes for all kinds of things loss in relationships or any sort of grieving that you've ever experienced look across the room your problems are common problems they're common to mankind and look around the room look there are people here who have suffered similar things and they love you and we will get through it together our Our trials don't need to be lonely trials. Do you hear me? So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. There are no profane trials. There are no profane trials, no empty trials. There are no godless trials. They don't exist. Every single trial that you will ever face, God is present there. He sees it, he knows it, he understands it. The passage goes on, it says, uh, there hath no temptation taking you, but such as, is, uh, such as is common to man, but God is faithful. I mean, is that not more than enough? Is it not more than enough to know that simply that God is there and he's watching and he's faithful? See, there is peace in knowing that God lo- God's love for you governs over your struggles. And that though Satan is a deceiver, God is true. And that though the world may forsake you, God never will. And men may be treacherous, and they may leave us in our most troublesome hours. People might leave us, but Christ stands faithful all the time. He is there. He is ever-present. He is faithful to you because he loves you so greatly. Psalm 31.10 says, For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity and my bones are consumed. I was, I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors and a fear to mine acquaintance. They that did see me without, without fled, fled from me. I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I'm like a broken vessel. So many of us have felt this way before. For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. See, Jesus Christ, he loves you. He loves you and he's faithful to you. He has not forgotten you and he's not forsaken you. And so in your times of uh, trouble, in your times of trial, your your times of temptation, he is there with you. He is faithful to you. He was faithful to save you in your salvation, to save you from your sin, to save you from hellfire. He is faithful to walk with you through the refining fires of this life. See, don't forget, don't forget there was a fourth in the fire. Don't forget that Jesus Christ, the son of God, stood, stood with the brethren in the fire in Daniel. He was faithful to them and he is faithful to you. You are his child. He loves you. Right? We, we know what, what, what you know, even, even fleshly fathers know how to give their children good gifts. Even I, in my weakness, I know how to bless my children, I know how to take care of them. How much more does your Father in heaven know how to take care of you when you're suffering and in pain? He's faithful to you. So we have to understand that there are no profane trials in your life. All of them mean something. All of them have value. And all of them, in every instance, God is faithful to walk with you through them. The next key point is this. There are no hopeless trials. There are no hopeless trials. It says, who will not suffer you, speaking of God, the faithful one, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able? See, there's peace in knowing that God has authority over our struggles. He will allow burdens, He will allow burdens to enter into our lives, but only according to the capacity of our strength and our spiritual maturity. He won't make you go through anything that you can't handle. That's part of His faithfulness. And you say to yourself, I can't handle this. I don't know how to deal with this. There's no way out. I'm troubled on all sides. There is no victory that I can see. I, I'm going to be overcome. There's no way around it. That's a lie. See, Christ, Christ has promised us that he will only give us trials at the capacity that we're able to handle, handle it. God takes great care that we are not overcome by our temptations. So the only way for you to suffer to the point of loss is to meet his faithfulness with faith- faithlessness. The only way to be swallowed up by the waves is to refuse his hand, is to refuse to acknowledge that he's with you and he's willing to walk with you. Whatever we encounter in this life should not perplex us or cause us to despair. It shouldn't. We should be able See, here's the deal. This is what we always do. We say, why has this happened to me? Isn't that what Job did? Why is this happening to me? And, and the problem with those questions is that there are, there, most of the time there are no answers this side of heaven. Like God isn't gonna send you a letter and say this is why you lost a loved one suddenly. God's not gonna send you a, a little note that says, oh, by the way, this is precisely why you're going through these temptations right now. See, it should be good enough for us in our moments of the why question asking, it should be good good enough to say this is because God is walking with us and refining us. That, That should be good enough for us. This is happening to me because God wants to prove his faithfulness to me and he wants to use this to my advantage that I might be an overcomer. That's all I have to know. I don't, I don't need to know the details. I don't need all the little why questions answered. I don't need any of that. It's good enough for me in this moment to simply know that God loves me, he's with me, and he's working this for my good. That's, that's maturity. That's maturity. But if we come to God and we say, why, 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 woe is me, and we insist that he answer our every question, then we will find ourselves losing faith and we will ultimately allow ourselves to be overcome by the temptation. See, what he's telling you is that he won't allow any temptation or trial in your life that you can't handle. The only thing that can get in the way of that promise is you saying you don't need him to rescue you. Peter walks out on the water and he's full of faith, right? But when he sees how great the waves are, he begins to sink, doesn't he? He begins to sink. That's faithlessness. Now, He was liable to drown. You understand that, right? Except for he cried out, save me. And who was there ready to save him? There was a hand immediately there. See, every trial that you face, every temptation that you face, Christ is walking with you and he's preserving you. He's preserving you. You know, Alan Shelby always says, providence has eyes. You know that? That's one of his favorite, favorite sayings. Providence has eyes. It's beautiful. Because what it's saying is that the sovereignty of God is so great and his love for you is so great that when he sees, he sees you in your circumstances, okay, he sees them for what they are at, every, at, the, at a holographic level. Right? He's, he sees it three-dimensionally. He sees it both for what it means temporally and what it means eternally. He sees it in every regard. God's providence has eyes. He, know, he knows all the, the answers to the question why. He knows all those things. And he's working it to our good. But here's the beautiful thing about that is that God's providence also has heart and compassion. You see, it's not good enough for God's providence to simply have eyes, but it also has heart. He's doing it for, our, for his love for us. He's, he's He's allowing these things and he's walking with us and he sees all these things for our good. He's with us. Key point number four, here's the fourth thing. There are no inescapable trials. It says, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. See, there's great peace in knowing that he has a plan for us to overcome our struggles. There's no valley so dark that he can't find a way through it. There's no crisis of relationship or finance or illness, no affliction, so grievous that he cannot prevent or remove or enable us to bear it. And in the end, he has promised that he will conquer it to our advantage. That's the promise. Take heed, take heed. Take heed that God will be a conqueror in your life and he will give you a way to escape whatever temptation you face. He will give you the ability to bear it, to go through it. He will provide you the strength necessary and his grace and mercy, you simply have to believe him for it. Now, I think all of these promises and all of these things in, in verse 13 are sufficient for taking heed. Would you agree? I, I, I think that all these things are sufficient. This is sufficient enough knowledge for me to know that when I suffer and when I'm, when I'm being tried and we, when I'm being tempted, that God is with me and taking care of me and he's going to get me through it. That's enough. But I, I want to draw your attention to another passage in scripture that addresses temptation. And I think it's really important. It's, complimentary. it's a complimentary truth to taking heed. In Hebrews, we learn that that. There's something better for the Christian than the old covenant, the old forms of worship. There's something better for us than the old priesthood. There's something better for us than the sacrifice of the temple and the tabernacle. There's something better for us. That's what we learn in Hebrews. We learn that we have a heavenly priest who emphasizes, uh, empathizes with us and loves us in a way that no human ever could. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 says this. Seeing then... That we have a great high priest. Who is that? That is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. So our faith should be bolstered by the knowledge of Christ and His resurrection. Amen. Our faith should be strengthened, knowing that He's conquered the grave. Amen. Amen. Verse fifteen. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling. Of our infirmities. That word infirmities means trial, our suffering, our pain. See, this high priest is not so removed from us that he doesn't understand our suffering. You know, as common, you can imagine in, in, in the, the temple worship of the old covenant, that the millions of people that would come to Jerusalem to worship never spoke once to the high priest. Now, the high priest could never know their true pain or their suffering. And it's true, let's be honest. That's true in our reality too. There are many of you in this room that no pastor can know the depths of your pain, will never be able to spend enough time with you to, to understand or comprehend your infirmities or your struggles, or your temptations. I'll never be able to sit with you enough in counseling to truly know what you feel. But here's the deal. We have a high priest who's conquered death itself. We have, we, we have a one, a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Here we're reminded that Jesus was a man. He was a human, which, which means he went through experiences. He went through human stuff. We weren't just sterile lab rats to him. It's not as though he was just observing, observing from a safe distance. He interjected himself. He experienced what we've experienced in its worst forms possible. He's experienced the loss. He's experienced the pain. He's experienced all the suffering that you could ever imagine or, or have experienced yourself. He's seen it. He's experienced it and he knows it both as a man and as a God. In Matthew chapter three, when Satan offered Jesus an escape from his hunger after 40 days of, of fasting. You guys remember this story? Jesus is fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And Satan approaches him and he, he offers him an escape to his hunger. And then he offers him, he offers him the kingdoms of the world and he offers him riches. You know what Christ did? You know what Christ did in that moment? He took heed. He took heed. And with each rebuttal to Satan's temptation, in the the very moment of the refining fire, he was ready. He was ready. Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Jesus said unto him, it is written again, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Verse 10, then, Je- then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt not worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. See, Christ shows us the power of taking heed. He shows us the power of considering the ways of God. He shows us that to to hold to and to speak out the promises of God is all we need for any trial or temptation. Hebrews chapter four, four, verse 16 says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So let's summarize it this way. Let's summarize it this way. When you go through temptation and trial, you have the promises of God's word to take heed to. That's verse 13 of chapter 10. That's what that is. It's the promises we need to go through the trial. But not only that, we have a model in Jesus Christ because he shows us what it looks like to take heed, to declare the truths of God, to hold to the promises of scripture, to raise them like a banner over our life and to face even the worst trial as a victor. So we have his example as well. But not only that. But we have him as a friend and an ally who can empathize and understand our pain because he went through it himself. And he, he himself provides for us the victory that we need when we come boldly to him. We cry out to him and we say, God, help me. He is faithful and just to provide us with grace to help in a time of need. And so here's our final key point. Jesus knows our pain and is ready to help when we call on him. Who needs to call on Jesus this morning for help? Who who knows right now in your life, you're going through a temptation or a trial, you're suffering some sort of issue and you feel alone. You feel like it's inescapable. You feel like you can't have victory, that you're not going to overcome. You're struggling with the wrong thoughts. You haven't been able to take heed to the promises of God's word. You haven't been shown how to do that. Okay, okay, okay. See, your opportunity today is to come forward and grab a hold of someone and confess what's going on, to, to confess the temptation that you face, to confess the trial that you're going through and get help in prayer so that you can come boldly to the throne of grace so that you can repent of your wandering and squandering. You can lay down your suffering. You can lay down the trial that you're going through. And you can come to God and lay hold on his grace so that his promises will get you through this season. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. We're gonna pray. There are going to be counselors up here. There are going to be friends in the pews that you can reach out to and say, hey, will you pray with me? But listen to me, whatever it is that you're going through, take heed. Take heed. Don't succumb to the temptation. Don't allow yourself to fall. Don't think that you can grit your teeth and get through it. Don't think that your spiritual maturity is sufficient. We need the promises of God today the same way we needed it on the day of our salvation. We need Jesus Christ to stand with us. So we take heed. We take heed. And if you need to take heed today, come forward and grab a hold of someone and work through it with the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the fact that, that s- since following you, there has never once been a time in my life where I've gone through suffering that I didn't know that people were there for me. And so even just this last week, God, I I felt alone. And there were pains that I was suffering and difficulty and trials that I was suffering. And I took great joy in knowing that I was seen and understood by the people that I love. Thank you for your church. God, thank you for your son. Thank you for the faithfulness of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for standing with me and knowing my pain and knowing my temptation, and knowing my trial, and then providing me a way of escape, showing showing me that there is hope in you, showing me that I can have joy, showing me that there's peace. God, thank you for your promises. Thank you for the opportunity to take heed. Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here today that is struggling with laying down their burdens and they see in themselves areas of emotional pain and and anxiety that they just can't, they can't seem to get over. Lord, I pray that they would come and gather with the brethren. They would worship before you. They would lay those things down and they would call out to you. They would take heed and they'd find victory there over their sin, over their difficulty, over their trials. We love you. Help us to be victors. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in His Word. For more information about Kaya, for service times, and information about our disciple making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.